0: This is Songwriter, the podcast of stories and answer songs. My name is Ben Arthur. Today, we have a piano instrumental by Stefan Macchio, but first, the story of an American icon. Roy Halston Froek, known simply as Halston, changed the way America looked, and perhaps even the way America thought about itself. Here to tell us more about his life is one of the producers of the recent Netflix series Halston, starring Ewan McGregor.
1: My name is Ned Martell, and uh, I'm a writer and producer for uh, a company that's called Ryan Murphy Productions. We do TV and movies. I was a journalist for 25 years before then in New York and Washington, D.C. mainly. Yeah, I was, as I said, I was a journalist for 25 years, and it was very hard as a gay person to be assigned stories about gay people. You were considered conflicted. Ryan, in, in American Horror Story, an American Crime Story, is always find, finding buried stories that show queer lives with all their complexity. We knew of Halston as children. His televised presence was dazzling and kind of unforgettable. But I think uh, over time we were able to. Figure out what people didn't quite know about him, and certainly that meant dysfunction, but also a kind of a landmark in uh, creating a vision that became a corporate empire, something that was way ahead of his time, a brand that sprung from his own taste and imagination and sense of American status and uh, modernity. And it was also a true expression of uh, a gay man, uh, someone who was challenged for being so and just kept being gayer. I mean, to be reductive. The saddest part of our story is to have the audience watch the character, you know, struggle with drugs, and then ultimately the plague that so many of his uh, generation succumbed to. That's part of the drama and it's part of the tragedy.
0: Halston burst onto the scene in 1961 when he designed a very special hat for a very special customer.
1: Jackie Kennedy wore a hat he designed for the first, well, for the inauguration of her husband, John Kennedy. And uh, the dress was made by Ola Cassini and he paired it with a hat that uh, was special. And in fact, it it was known for a kind of shape that was round or had a dent in it, which was accidental. And that became part of the trend, which is bizarre. She made even imperfections seem uh, intriguing. And I think that uh, Halston was at the very least amused by the the thing he didn't anticipate becoming part of the look.
0: For a brief moment, Halston made a mint with his distinctive hats. However, times changed quickly.
1: Suddenly, people were making their hair sculptural instead of adding this sculptural element of uh, an accessory. And Halston had to adapt. He had to pivot. He had to imagine new ways that his visions could be seen on women. He was very young at the time. Adapt he did. You know, he he went into full uh, fashion lines for women. He then did men's. He went on a, a, a tear through corporate America and branded himself. So it could be a whole lifestyle. You could add a Halston element to your carpet, to your luggage, to... The airline you choose, the stewardesses wore them on Braniff. He was uh, inescapable in American culture.
0: In all of this, Halston's impact cannot be underestimated, especially in women's fashion.
1: American women were being liberated from a kind of, uh, I'm just going it, to call it corseted, something that's very tight and
0: armor-like. Halston would dress Greta Garbo, Angelica Houston, Lauren Bacall, Elizabeth Taylor, and Liza Minnelli, all in his loose, flowing garments. The fabric exaggerated the the movements of a
1: woman's arms and limbs. And it gave her a silhouette that was very close to her body and very sexy. Sometimes they were designed never to be worn with undergarments. When we worked with our, our costume designer, she would look at archival pieces and just be amazed that something so simple would actually have such degrees of complication. She described it like a watch. And for the woman who wore them, they felt like they had been presented to the world in a way they'd never been seen before.
0: Halston's bold, pioneering conception of America did not stop with fashion. For a high-profile international competition held at Versailles, Halston presented a vision of American inclusivity and diversity that was well ahead of its time.
1: Halston knew that African-American women and Asian women and uh, Latinx women were going to be part of the future that these women were equally beautiful and equally on the forefront of what would define American womanhood.
0: By this point in his career, Halston was making and spending a lot of money. In 1983, he signed a six-year deal with J.C. Penney for a billion dollars. But even as he experienced this wild success, trouble was on the horizon. When someone is flying
1: that high, it's hard to tell him to come back to the ground. Uh, what ingredients are part of that? Is it the cocaine? Is it the pressure? Is it the, the idea that this plague is creeping into all the phases of his life? His love life, his work life, his friendships, uh, his city, his customer base, his entire industry is affected by AIDS and you can feel it kind of closing in. There's a CEO who was a unique uh, social figure who had ambitions and thought that his own company could rise on the fortunes of Halston's creations. He saw an opportunity to take the company uh, in a new direction. He lost control of the company. Halston lost his protector, and the new regime was not going to tolerate his excesses. So. Ultimately, a conflict results that sends him out of the building. And uh, other people take on the creation of things under his name, and he has no recourse.
0: Halston had lost his name. He was legally barred from sharing any of his designs under his own name. Depressed, sick, and humiliated, Halston retreated from the public eye but with the help of some old friends, he was able to make one last adaptation.
1: Along the way, he had sponsored many friends of his, but most prominently the American genius choreographer Martha Graham. And uh, they had sought opportunities to collaborate that Halston had often refused. He was too busy or not interested. And as he became more vulnerable, as his disease advanced and his uh, professional prospects diminished, he accepted the challenge that she offered to do this uh, performance of Persephone, to create costumes that were unlike what conventional choreographers would have chosen. It is beautiful. It is moving, and when we filmed it, there was not a dry eye. Um, we filmed a whole performance. You'll see a version of it in our show, and I have to say, there's something special about Halston, who you know is in his late 40s or 50s at that stage, and this living legend Martha Graham, uh, who's probably in her 80s, and the way they found a kind of creative communion. They're both so tireless, and. Uh, They had every reason to be tired. They were uh, sick or elderly, and they brought new life to each other.
0: And now for the song Written in Response.
2: Stefan Macchio. I see myself as a composer, and I'm a producer, songwriter. I, I definitely see myself as a pianist above all. It's what I've been doing since the age of three. I come from a highly musical family, a family um, of the arts. And I had you know, the privilege of working with some of the greatest artists in the world. The Weekend, Celine Dion, writing for Miley Cyrus. I grew up listening to American radio. And I love American radio. I was exposed to the classical arts at a very young age, two, three years old. And so I'm, here I am, studying at the Conservatory in Toronto, classical music. And I'm listening to pop radio in Buffalo, New York. You know, Halston essentially becomes crowned Halston, you know, when, when he, when he, his moment with Jackie. You know, Celine Dion was a big moment for me, and new days come you know when i when I, I was still living in Toronto at the time, and I was a staff producer for Sony Music, and I wrote that song with a fellow Canadian his name is Alda Nova. She had just taken three years off a sabbatical because she'd given birth to her first child. And she came back and I had co-written that song after the world's biggest artist had taken three years off and it was the most anticipated song because it was Celine. It's like, you know, when Adele comes back, you know, it's just like writing that song. It, it, after Celine, I did you know a lot of television music in Canada, and, and notably I wrote the Olympic thing for Vancouver, which is a huge crowning moment for me in, in my own country. Well, the year prior to me moving down to Hollywood, I was going on a bunch of writing trips from Toronto to Los Angeles, and I was writing songs. And I got in a room with two other great songwriters, Sasha Scarbeck. And Mozella McDonald, um, Mozella Maureen McDonald, and and the three of us wrote this song called Wrecking Ball. Mozella turned to Sasha and I and said, "Do you guys mind if I play this for Miley? I'm going to be seeing her in a couple of weeks." But uh, she played it for Miley. She called us and said, "Listen, guys, Miley loves the song. She wants to cut it." Miley was just wanting to become Miley Cyrus the new Miley Cyrus version 2.0 after Hannah Montana, and it was the right song, the right video, the right message, the right lyric, and it all made sense. Listen, I've written a plethora of great songs that have never gotten out there. It's just the alignment with everything that needs to work. Uh, Wrecking Ball was the biggest song for a minute in the world within two weeks of me moving here.
0: In the wake of Wrecking Ball's success, Stefan soon found himself working with The Weeknd, Ellie Goulding, Jason Derulo, and Dua Lipa, and earned Grammy and Oscar nominations. But he also found that for him, success has a price.
2: When you're in demand, you get washed down by the constant, just the the, the constant demand that you have on your career. And if you don't say no, you will lose yourself. I always, this expression I always say, you always hurt the ones you love the most. In order to produce light, one must endure burning, as I'm paraphrasing the quote. But it it really affects my life. Because, you know, sometimes you're you're frantically running around, there's constant pressures and deadline after deadline to, to meet these things and I I had to go through that and I had to sort of mess up and find out that you just can't, you can do anything I always said but you can't do everything. I want to look back and know that I've done something relevant with my music, that it touched people and that it stuck around and not that it, I just did B movie after B movie after B movie just to sort of afford what it cost to live here. I, 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 I just not one particular artist it's just it's la it's the trap of LA I'll never forget that moment for me it was November 2018 I was in London England I was cutting strings for Celyindi on I was producing her last big album I came back to my hotel room and BBC radio was on the classical station and Von Williams was playing Vaughn Williams is a beautiful English composer and one of my favorite composers and it was after the session and for whatever reason I had just like broken down I started crying in my room and I said what am I doing I made a promise to myself I said I'm going to come back and do the one thing that I love doing just kind of playing the piano I said that Celine will be my last artist that I work with after Celine I started making plans and saying no to everything so that November 2018, uh, literally, I, just, I came back from Christmas and I started setting up my studio. I just felt like I had just kind of given to like you know the the big house, the big everything here in LA, and I just that's I wanted to reduce everything, which I did, and I ended up reducing as well, you know, the way I make music and coming right back to just one instrument. Definitely some parallels uh, from, you know, Halston's life. Um, I, I know how Halston ended up where he ended up and how he ended up that way as well. It's, it's very simple. He lost his creative power, which to me was very tragic, um, by selling his name to JCPenney. We see it all the time uh, in Hollywood. I felt that the piece of music, as I was completing that composition, I just kept on thinking of Halston. I just thought of him at the end of his life, reflecting on where, what intersection, what decisions could he have done differently in order to maintain that integrity, his name. Just to maintain his name and have the creative control, which he had lost at the end of his life. Yeah, Lionheart is my Martha Graham. Some people get it, but some people go, wow, you've been working with some of the biggest artists. Isn't that fun? But having more creative control and say into what you do is really important to me. At least with this, I can say that I'm putting my best foot forward and that I believe every note that I record because I'm in charge of it. Halston, as simple as it sounds, for example, I, I think I recorded over 65 versions of it. No joke. One other thing that I worked a lot uh, towards in my performance is the space between the notes. It's it's so critical. The you know that, that silence and you know if I'm going to I, I don't know it's probably hard for you to hear it but if I'm playing a chord and I play the next chord and you, if it's elongated just the right amount. It, it's what causes us to sort of stand still, to feel like we're in a movie. You know, that's, that's the goal of this music of mine, this piano music, is the introspection part, is to give us time to think, because we don't have it anymore. Our, our lives are just so jammed. We're streaming in, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of millions, just on piano music. So, and here I am, kind of doing that, and it's working right now, and
0: I'm loving it. This is Stefan Macchio with his song, "Hostin." That was Halston, performed by Stefan Macchio and written by Stefan Macchio. Copyright Songs of Universal, Inc. on behalf of Sing Little Penguin. (music) The next episode will feature a story from Wright Thompson and a song written in response by Drew Holcomb. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or out there on social media. Reviews and ratings help too. Songwriter is 100% independently produced by me and the artists. If you want to support our work, consider getting a premium subscription from Apple or going to songwriterpodcast.com forward slash donate. You can always get early access to the Songwriter Podcast at Paste. Just go to pastemagazine.com and search for Ben Arthur. While you're there, check out the Paste Podcast or get it wherever you get yours. Finally, thanks, as always, to Rob Reinhardt and Acoustic Cafe.